There's a mic drop moment for you, right? <laughs> well, I, uh, as you just saw in that short video, I wanted to get insight of these kids because this morning I'm going to share with you the parable of the sower from the Gospel of Mark chapter 4. Now, this is one of Jesus's earliest parables and is among his best known along with uh, probably the prodigal son and the good Samaritan. And because of that, there is a little bit of danger when a preacher begins talking about any of the parables and particularly this one. The danger is that for those of you who've been a follower of Jesus for any period of time, You've heard this parable a number of times, and it can easily fall into the category, you know, of the Christmas story or the resurrection at Easter. You kind of know all about the story, and because of that, you can, it can be easy to check out. But I want to challenge you this morning to listen to this parable with fresh eyes. And, and the truth is that you and I need to hear the truth of God's word over and over again because we can often forget about the truth found in God's word. Another thing that you might be thinking when it comes to parables is what the heck is a parable? right? It's kind of a weird word that we don't use much in our modern vocabulary, but a parable, according to this one definition, is a short, fictitious story that illustrates a moral attitude or a religious principle. And I, I like to think of them as short stories that are intended to provoke our imaginations. And the reason why Jesus told parables or stories is because he knows that you and I as people, we love a good story, don't we? That's why we read books. That's why we go to the movies. It's because we love a good story. And the parable of the sower has been a, a favorite subject of various artists over the years as well and was a particular favorite of the artist Vincent van Gogh. Van Gogh, he painted or drew over 30 works of art that were dedicated to the sower. And throughout his life, Van Gogh had a strong desire to grow up and be like his dad, who was a minister. And Van Gogh was someone who strongly identified with the poor and people who lived off the land, people like the sower. But the parables that Jesus told weren't just for entertainment purposes. They were meant to illustrate some kind of heavenly truth. A truth that was hidden from unbelievers, but was clear to those who believed. And although you and I, we can glean a lot from the parables that Christ told, they were intended for a primary audience of Jewish farmers and fishermen, mostly poor people, people who lived off the land. So let's read the Gospel of Mark chapter 4. Again, he began to teach beside the sea. And a very large crowd gathered about him so that he got into a boat and sat in it on the sea. And the whole crowd was beside the sea on land. And he was teaching them many things in parables. Okay, so a couple of quick things to point out here. Anytime 
that you and I engage in scripture, we have to be mindful of the context in which a passage is set. So the context here is that the sea referred to is the Sea of Galilee. And many scholars believe that there was this sort of horseshoe-shaped cove along the shoreline in which a large crowd had gathered. And this cove allowed for Jesus to sit in a boat facing the people who were on shore. And the genius behind this whole approach is that Jesus used the acoustics of the water and along with this sort of natural amphitheater of the cove. And all of this helped a large group of people to hear what Jesus was saying. It continues. And in his teaching, he said to them, listen, behold, a sower went out to sow. And as he sowed, some seed fell along the path and the birds came and devoured it. Other seed fell on rocky ground where it did not have much soil. And immediately it sprang up since it had no depth of soil. And when the sun rose, it was scorched. And since it had no root, it withered away. Other seed fell among thorns and the thorns grew up and choked it and it yielded no grain. And other seed fell into good soil and produced grain growing up and increasing and yielding thirtyfold, and sixtyfold, and a hundredfold. And he said, he who has ears, let him hear. I love this parable. I love this parable because it's talking about the basics. It's talking about dirt, about soil, the very things that bring forth life. You might remember how when you were a kid, how much time you spent outside just playing in the dirt. You loved making mud pies and just getting dirty. And I think that there's something good and maybe even something spiritual about literally getting our hands and our feet into the ground. This parable is also taking place in a familiar setting, a garden. And gardens seem to be a favorite of God's. And as we read the scriptures, we know that the Bible begins and it ends in a garden. There's something about gardens that seem to be very dear to God. Now, although we live in a very rich agricultural area here in northern Colorado, not too many of us are farmers. And this is quite a bit different than, say, going all the way back to the 1920s, where nearly a third of the entire U.S. population were farmers. Soil and planting and harvesting was a significant part of people's lives back then. Now, I do realize we have some farmers in our congregation and that many of you might even tend to small gardens. I myself am a wannabe farmer, but by and large, most of us, we don't plant seed to sustain us. In fact, in our modern world, most of us don't have a great understanding of the importance that soil plays in food production. It's much like this little eight-year-old guy named Timmy who was out in his front yard playing one day when a farmer drove by in his John Deere tractor and the farmer was hauling some fertilizer in the trailer. And Timmy, he called out to the farmer. He said, what do you have in the trailer? Manure, the farmer replied. Well, what are you going to do with that? Timmy asked him. The farmer said, I'm going to put it on my strawberries. 
And Timmy's sitting there thinking, that's the craziest thing. Hey, farmer, you got to come over to my house. We put whipped cream on our strawberries. (laughs) The people listening to Jesus, they knew exactly what went into making strawberries as they were fully reliant on what was planted and what was harvested. They understood the story that Jesus was telling them. It's also interesting to note in this parable that Jesus begins with listen and then he concludes with he who has ears, let him hear. Why would he say that? Why would Jesus put such emphasis on listening and hearing? And this is particularly curious to a guy like me. I wear hearing aids. I've struggled with my hearing for over 20 years. I got married when I was 30, and then a couple of years later, I started to experience hearing loss. (laughs) I'm not making any connection there whatsoever. Oh, my Lord. (laughs) But seriously, if my wife was up here, she would tell you how how incredibly frustrating it has been for her to try to communicate with me as someone who struggles with hearing. I know many of you have experienced that as well, which is why here's the first point in your outline. Parables are exercises in listening. Parables were given to reveal and to conceal. For those of you who attend our Wednesday night community, Pastor Brent Cunningham, he leads it. And a couple weeks ago, Brent said, a parable reveals who is a true seeker of truth and someone who is not. Those who had soft hearts and were open to Jesus' teaching, the truth of God's word was revealed to them. But to those with hard hearts, like the Pharisees, they couldn't decipher the nuggets of truth found within the parable. Jesus was imploring everyone in attendance to lean in, lean in and pay attention to the deeper meaning of the parable. Jesus, he goes on to allude to the mystery around this parable. In verse 11, he says, and he said to them, To you has been given the secret of the kingdom of God. To you have been given the secret of the kingdom of God. But for those outside, everything is in parables. So that they may indeed see, but not perceive, and may indeed hear, but not understand, lest they should turn and be forgiven. Verse 13, and he said to them, do you not understand this parable? How then will you understand all the parables? The sower sows the word. And these are the ones along the path where the word is sown. When they hear, Satan immediately comes and takes away the word that is sown in them. And these are the ones sown on rocky ground. The ones who, when they hear the word, immediately they receive it with joy. And while they have no root in themselves, but endure for a while, then when tribulation or persecution arises, listen to this, on account of the word, immediately they fall away. And others are the ones sown among thorns. They are those who hear the word, but the cares of the world 
and the deceitfulness of riches and the desires for other things of the world enter in and choke the word, and it proves to be unfruitful. But those that were sown on the good soil are the ones who hear the word and accept it and bear fruit 30-fold and 60-fold and 100-fold. Jesus says that the sower sows the word. The sower in this parable is Jesus himself. And the word is the word of God. And although this parable has come to be known as the parable of the sower, it should actually be called the parable of the soils. Because the difference isn't the type of seed being sown. The seed being sown is all the same. It's the word of God. That's the second point in your outline. The difference comes in the types of soils the seed lands on. And in this parable, the four types of soils represent the four types of human hearts that receive God's word. And it's not any coincidence that Jesus uses a human heart in this parable. It's because he wanted his audience then and he wants us to know now that there is a battle being waged for your heart. Your heart takes center stage in this cosmic drama that has played out throughout the course of human history. The word of God is a giant love letter written to you and I. And like any lover longing for the object of his or her affection, we read throughout the scriptures, here's the third point, that God is longing for your heart. He's longing for your heart. And we see this going all the way back to the Garden of Eden, found in the book of Genesis. After Adam and Eve, they took the forbidden fruit and ate it. Uh, Sin entered the world. And it was there that we get the first glimpse of God as the pursuer of the heart of man. In Genesis, it reads, then the eyes of both of them, Adam and Eve, were opened and they realized that they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. And now God asks what I think is the most haunting question in all of scripture. The Lord God called to to the man, where are you? This is the first question that God asks in scripture. And he's asking it of Adam, the only man who is now hiding in the bushes. God didn't ask him, what did you do? Or what were you thinking? But instead he asked Adam, where are you? And I think that's kind of a humorous question, don't you? Because of course God knew where Adam was at physically, but God was more interested in where was Adam's heart. You can almost hear and you can almost feel the longing of God as he asks the question, where are you, Adam? And it's the same question that God asks of each and every one of us every day. Because as we know, there's a tug of war that takes place in all of our hearts, isn't there? Where we have the strong desire to follow Jesus and live out the teachings of Scripture 
But we also battle with the flesh, and more times than we care to admit, we fall to its lusts. Because of that, the prophet Jeremiah, he writes, the heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure. Who can understand it? So, Jesus uses the human heart in his parable, and he likens it to four types of soil. He says the first soil is the hard path. Those of you who farm or you garden, you create walkways, right, between your rows of crops. You wouldn't dream of planting seed between your rows where it's open to the elements, open to you walking on it, open to insects or birds coming to take it. And over time, the hard path becomes this, uh, it becomes compacted. It becomes impenetrable soil. And Jesus says the human heart is the same way. I mean, how many people do you know who have heard the word of God, but it just doesn't penetrate their heart? In fact, they become hardened to it. And at times, even antagonistic toward it. A biblical example of this would be Pharaoh, the ruler of Egypt. You might remember 10 times Moses came and petitioned Pharaoh and asked him to set the Hebrews free from their bondage in Egypt. And every single time, Pharaoh said no. I'm going to let you dive in and dig a little deeper in the story of Pharaoh. You can find the story in Exodus chapters 3 through 11. And then there's the rocky soil. The rocky soil is interesting in how Jesus describes it. And they have no root in themselves, he says, but endure for a while. Then when tribulation or persecution arises on account of what? The word. Immediately they fall away. Did you catch that? That the word is what brings about tribulation and persecution. And this is the truth that you and I can take to the bank. If you believe what the word of God says, you're going to have trouble in this life, no doubt. If you publicly declare your faith and belief in what the word of God says, how is that usually received? In your place of work or in your monthly book club or your class at CSU or even in your own family. At the very least... You can be ridiculed, right? And at times you can be met with open hostility. See, a heart of rocky soil is a heart that doesn't have a lot of depth to it. You farmers or folks who garden, you know that you can't plant in rocks. You need soil that has depth to it so that the plant roots can go down deep and get the nutrients of the soil to create a healthy plant. The word of God to a person with a rocky heart, it sounds good to this person. They might even receive it. But once they face hardship because of the word, because of what they believe, they give up the faith. They give up following Jesus when it gets too hard to follow Jesus. This is a heart that is more concerned with how he or she is perceived 
This is a heart that bows to culture instead of to Christ. And we're seeing the effects of this sort of rocky soil throughout the Christian church where church leaders are caving left and right to the culture instead of standing on the truth of God's word. In a world where you and I constantly have to navigate the loud voices in our changing culture, God's word is the one thing that we can cling to. God's word is our anchor. God's word is the soil that we can take deep root in. A biblical example of this type of rocky soil is Peter. You might remember after Jesus was arrested, Peter was confronted three times by different people and was asked each time if he had any connection to Jesus and feeling the pressure. Three times, Peter denied that he even knew who Jesus was. You can read about Peter's denial in the Gospel of Luke chapter 22. Then we have the thorny soil. What does it say? And others are the ones sown among thorns. They are those who hear the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desires for other things enter in and choke the word, and it proves to be unfruitful. Why is it that you and I, we get rid of thorny weeds in our gardens? It's because they suck the nutrients from the healthy things that we want to grow. Healthy plants and weeds can grow side by side for a while. But eventually, the weeds and the thorns will rob the nutrients from the good plants, and eventually, those good plants will die. And it's the same thing in our lives. You and I, we get distracted by the things that the world offers. We all do it, myself included. We grow in our discontentment. We start to compare ourselves with others. And we come to desire what other people have. And pretty soon, the deceitfulness of riches and those desires for other things They get in the way of what's really important in life. Here's what I want you to know. It's okay to be rich. It's okay to have desires. The problem occurs when our desires and chasing after money get in the way of following Jesus. A biblical example of this type of thorny soil would be Judas. Now, we know him as the one who betrayed Jesus, but prior to that, he was a thief. You can read more about his heart in John chapter 12. And then finally, we come to the fruitful soil. And I love how this one writer describes it. He says, black earth has a sanctity to it. The color calls to us from a damp, ancient place where life comes from death. It's the call of richness, of fertility, of potential. Black soil is a home of all things green and godly. And that makes perfect sense. All that's green and godly comes from the soil because God is a gardener. He was the first to wet his fingers with earth, the first to plant, the first to tamp and tend. When no one was watching, God was gardening. Don't you just love that description of fertile, fruitful soil? And if we continue to equate garden soil with human hearts, all of us have known people 
whose hearts are filled with this type of soil. There's just something that's different about them, isn't there? I mean, just being around them makes you a better person. What is it about these types of people? Well, they're usually humble, almost always wise. They're grounded and they have a firm grasp on God's word while also offering patience as they understand the tension found in the human heart. But more than all of that, more than all of that, these people have a strong desire to follow Jesus. A biblical example of this type of fertile, fruitful soil would be Mary. You remember her. She's the gal who was sitting at Jesus' feet. She wasn't distracted by the demands that were placed upon her, but instead she focused on the one thing that was most important, and that was listening to Jesus. You can read more about her in Luke chapter 10. So the question for all of us today is which type of soil does your heart resemble right now? You know, the type of heart that you and I have really comes down to choices, doesn't it? It's our choices that by and large form the condition of our hearts and either turns our hearts towards God or turns our hearts away from God. And just as a farmer has to cultivate and tend to his or her crops, so do you and I have to cultivate and tend to the soil of our hearts every single day. Another writer reminds us of the importance of this. He says, Jesus invites us into the reality that our good father is a generous sower. He is constantly scattering seeds of possibility, healing, rescue, and transformation. In his wild goodness, even the smallest seed will become the greatest tree when it finds the rich soil of a tended heart. So, this begs the question, how do you and I tend to our hearts? What can you and I, what can we do to cultivate fertile soil? Well, first and foremost, it requires us to be in God's word daily. It all starts there. If you and I want to know more about Jesus and what it means to walk in faith with him, we have to read his word. Secondly, like I said earlier, every day is filled with choices. Are the choices you make, are they driving you closer to Jesus or further away? Consider what kind of things are you consuming? What are you listening to every day? Who has your ear? What are you reading? What are you watching? And then consider, who are the main influences in your life? You might remember a couple of weeks ago, Dr. Foth was up here, and he shared uh, this statement. He said, you are the average of the five people you're spending time with. Are those five people, are they encouraging you in your faith and in your walk with Jesus? Last week, I was driving my 14-year-old to school. And in our car ride, I was sharing with him about my message that I was going to share with you today about uh, the Word of God being the seed that's sown. And, and there's four types of human hearts that receive it. And he said, well, you know, Dad, a person's heart can change. 
And I thought, wow, that is so good and so true, right? Wisdom from a 14-year-old. And it reminded me of my dad, Bob Abbott. Bob Abbott was not a very nice guy when I was growing up. He, uh, he was an angry guy. He, uh, he worked at, for AT&T for 30 years. Worked the graveyard shift. I mean, that'll make anybody angry, right? He started smoking when he was 13. Uh, he, he would drink. He wasn't an alcoholic, but I distinctly remember the times when he was drunk. And although he was a mean person normally, he was a happy drunk. Uh, but more than anything, what I remember is him berating my mom. My mom was a passive Christian, but she would want to take my brother and I to church. And we'd make it to church just a handful of times a year, Christmas, Easter, and a couple of other times. And I can still, right now, I can hear my dad yelling at my mom, can't you think for yourself? Church is a crutch. The Bible is just filled with fables, myths, and tall stories. Pastors just want your money. The Bible's not true. Come on, think. I can still hear that to this day. But about 10 years before my dad died, he was invited by a coworker to attend their home church, their house church, which I thought was the craziest thing, but my dad went. And it was in that small, intimate house church environment that my dad gave his life to Jesus and became a passionate follower of his. Just as passionately as he was uh, stuck in his atheism and railing against all things Christian, my dad became a passionate follower of Jesus. In the last 10 years of his life, he was a jovial, happy guy. (laughs) And I tell you his story Because I want you to know that no matter what kind of heart you have this morning, it can change with the help of God and become a heart that's filled with fertile and fruitful soil. We see an example of that in the life of Peter, where he ended up turning his life around and fully following Jesus. We see that in the story of my dad, Bob Abbott. We see that and many of your stories that are here this morning. I invite you to stand for our closing song, and then I'm going to come back and share a prayer of benediction.
Well, thank you all so much for joining us this morning. We want you to know if you have any prayer needs, our prayer team will be right up here at the front of the stage. They would love nothing more than to come alongside you and pray for you and whatever it is that you're facing. Again, thank you so much for your generosity in giving. When you give, you're literally impacting the lives of people all around the world, including those who were impacted by those terrible earthquakes in Turkey and Syria. Our ministry partner, Convoy of Hope, they've had boots on the ground over there from day one, meeting the needs of people there, and we get to be a part of that. You can give online or you can use the app or drop your offering in the container in the back of the room. Let me offer you this closing prayer. It's a prayer from Every Moment Holy and their Lent devotional. Jesus, here I am again, desiring a thing that were I to indulge in it would war against my own heart and the hearts of those I love. Oh Christ, rather let my life be thine. Take my desires until there remains no room for these lesser cravings. In this moment, I might choose to indulge a fleeting hunger, or I might choose to love you more. Faced with this temptation, I would rather choose you, Jesus, but I am weak, so be my strength. I am shadowed, be my light. I am selfish, unmake me now and refashion my desires according to the better designs of your love. Amen. God bless everyone. Have a great rest of your week.